0: I want to talk to you this morning about the importance of making good decisions, not only that it's important, but also how to make a good decision based on the Bible, based on the examples of the master. There is a way that we can make good decisions every time. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, if the, if the coffee pot gives up the ghost, you don't need divine intervention to buy a new coffee pot, just go buy a new coffee pot, amen, amen. Some things you can just make decisions based on education and common sense. But there are major decisions that should never be made without consulting the Lord and without going to the source of all truth to help us make good decisions. Amen? I'm talking about a decision for a house, a car, uh, a new boyfriend, a girlfriend. Uh, is this someone you want me to marry? Those types of decisions, something that's going to be... Life altering. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I would not make any major decisions without having the Lord's input. Look at John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, sent unto Jesus, they sent a messenger, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now apparently Jesus was a friend of Lazarus' family, and he loved him very much. He probably spent time at his house, maybe visiting on his journeys and his missionary journeys and stuff like that. But she said, Whom thou loveth is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus. So now it, it repeats the love he had for uh, not only Lazarus, but the whole family. So when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. He heard Lazarus was sick and needed him, but yet he, he stayed where he was for two more days. So Jesus didn't make a move for two days. He had the news. He knew his friend Lazarus, whom he loveth, was sick, but he didn't make a move for two more days. And he's the only one that could help him because he was actually going to die. I know Jesus said it's not unto death, but he was talking about it's not unto permanent death. And, uh, but then he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So why did he stay two more days? I believe it was because the Holy Ghost told him not to go. Jesus never did anything except he heard from the Father or the Holy Ghost prompted him to do it. He never did anything on his own. He was always led of the Spirit, at least after he was baptized in the Spirit and spent that time in the wilderness. But why would the Holy Ghost tell him not to go? Now, that wouldn't wouldn't make much sense to us. If we were with Jesus and uh, we got news that Lazarus was sick and almost dying, we would probably think that Jesus should pack his bag and take off right now before it's too late. Uh, But the Lord don't think like we think and we don't think like he thinks. But it was probably because God had bigger plans and God was going to get glory out of this adventure. Uh, Remember what Jesus said in verse four? When Jesus heard of Lazarus sickness, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God might be glorified. Thereby. Now, it would be easy for us to misunderstand this and think that he was being glorified by the sickness. But it, it wasn't the sickness that was going to bring him glory. God never gets glory out of us being sick. He never gets glorified through sickness. He gets glorified through healing. Amen? The devil gets glorified through sickness. So, he didn't say the sickness was for the glory of God. It was the raising of Lazarus from death that would bring glory to God and glory to the Son. So God's plan was to allow Lazarus to die. So there would be a funeral. And what happens at funerals? Lots of people come. So Jesus had plans when all those people came. He was going to do this great miracle. And as a result, people would recognize not only him as the Son of God but the power of God that was working through him. And God and the Son, Jesus, would get glory through that. As a matter of fact, the 45th verse in the same uh, 11th chapter says that after Lazarus was raised from the dead, many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. They believed on Jesus. And without this particular miracle, there would have been a lot of Jews that would have never believed on Jesus, especially if Jesus wasn't able to raise him from the dead. So he abode two more days, give Lazarus enough time to die. And not only that, Lazarus must have died pretty quick because I don't know how far the journey was back to Bethany, but he was in the grave four days when Jesus arrived. So as you know, he was already smelling. Verse 7 says, Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. And his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? In other words, the last time we were there, they tried to stone you. And now you want to go back. Not such a good idea, Jesus. And in John chapter 10, the previous passage Verse 31 said, when they were in Judea ministering, the Jews challenged Jesus, trying to trick him into saying something so they could accuse him. So they asked him if he was the Christ. That was a loaded question right there. And Jesus said, yes. Why would he say yes? Because it was the truth and he couldn't lie. And when he answered yes, the Bible says the Jews took up stones again. To stone him, so this is this is the first time they tried to stone him. But the Bible says he escaped out of their hands. In other words, it was a pretty close call. He almost got stoned, but it doesn't tell us how he escaped. Uh, one one uh, of the gospel writers, at, at the one time that he was, they were going to stone him, said that he walked through their midst. I don't know if they blinded them all or they were slain in the spirit, but he walked right through the midst of them and walked away. Oh, that was the time they wanted to throw him off a cliff. So they, they were trying to kill Jesus for a long time. So because of that incident, the disciples are reminding Jesus how the Jews wanted to stone him. And, uh, and Bethany is in Judea, so they were pretty close to that place where they were going to stone him. So now Jesus is getting pressure from two different sides. He's being pressured from Mary and Martha to come to Bethany and minister to Lazarus. And he's being pressured by his disciples not to go because they could get stoned. So I know that there was times when I had to make some major decisions. I didn't always make good decisions. I know you guys had, but I I made some bad decisions in my life. But I'm getting better at it. Amen. Amen. I know the source of truth, and I know how to make a good decision now, where back then I didn't know how to make such good decisions, and I made some bad ones, trust me. But uh, here he's being pressured from both sides. I was being pressured from both sides. I remember when we decided to go to Rhema, we had people saying, praise the Lord, good for you, you're going to make a fantastic minister, go. And then on the other side, we had even family members say, you're crazy, why would you quit your career at UPS? you got 20 years there. Don't go. And we were getting pressure from both sides. And what did we have to do? We had to pray through. Now, i be honest with you. Pastor Ed was ready right away. It took me a year. A year of praying and seeking until and I finally got to peace. And I said, yep, this is God's will for us. And we packed up, sold our house, and we went amen but that was not an easy decision to make and uh there was times when i thought i missed god not only at Ramah, but even when we come here several times we must have missed god on this one you know this can't be happening to us you know but then the lord reassured us we're in the right place so anyway uh he's getting pressure from both sides and uh Jesus has a decision to make. Should I go? Should I stay? Mary and Martha are putting the pressure on them. The disciples are putting the pressure on them. And I, I know that you've been in that position before, just like I described when we wanted to go to Raymond, where people are telling you, do it. Somebody's saying, don't do it. And you're right in the middle. You're really not that sure. And you can lean both ways, depending on who's talking to you. But there's a tiebreaker. His name is the Holy Ghost. You could ask him. He'll break the tie. But we've all felt that pressure before. Should I take the new job or not take the new job? Should I move to this new town or should I not move to this new town? Should I get married? Should I not get married? You know, just all kinds of life decisions. These are the types of decisions where you need divine intervention. Not like buying a toaster or a microwave. You need divine intervention because this is going to affect your life. Amen? And uh, I know just the Holy Ghost didn't tell me this just out of common sense that there's people in here that are facing decisions right now and they're being pressured. But never make a decision under pressure. Never be pressured into anything because that's the devil. The devil coerces, he pushes, he pressures He intimidates, but God never does that. But the Bible tells us how to make the right decision every time. And we'll find out in this passage of Scripture that we're reading here how Jesus made the right decision because he shows us plainly. In verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? Uh, In Jewish time, 12 hours of daylight. It's not 24 hours. He's talking about 12 hours of day." If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth. So how many knows you can stumble and fall walking in the dark? Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night, maybe to go to the bathroom or get something out of the kitchen the refrigerator or something, and you stub your toe because it's dark? And uh, I don't know about y'all, but have you ever stubbed your toe and then kicked the thing that you stubbed your toe on and then stubbed your big toe? No? I haven't either. (laughs) But the reason you stubbed your toe and stumbled is because you were walking in the dark. Now, I'm telling you, me and Pastor Ray keep our bedroom pitch dark. But we leave this tiny nightlight on in the bathroom, but we close the door. So when we get up, and the older I get, the more I get up during the night, <laughs> several times, as a matter of fact, and I look for a faint little line of light around the door. And I get right in the middle of that, and I head straight towards it because <laughs> I got one of them, I don't know, like a hope chest at the foot of the bed and a dresser on this side. And it's usually the the... Uh, hope chest that hooks my little toe. But I line up with that ring of light and I head right for that door. And we do good like that. And then coming out I do the same thing. Before I close the door you know, light, night light is shining through I center myself between the dresser and the thing. <laughs> and then once the door closes I just go straight ahead. <laughs> Hallelujah. But sometimes you stagger and stub your toe anyway. But the reason we stumble is because there's no light, and it's hard to see in the dark. But when the light is on, there's no way we're going to bump into things or stub our toe or trip over something because we can see. But then Jesus takes the illustration of walking around in the light of the world, which is natural light, and he points out a spiritual truth. He tells us exactly how he got his answer on whether to stay or to go. Even under pressure, he gets the right answer. Uh, Let's finish reading verse 10. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth. Why? Because there is no light in him. Notice that. No light in him. Not in the room, in him. So here's a rule of thumb. When interpreting scriptures like this, uh, you know, and there's, this happens with a lot of things. You know, there's symbols in the Bible. uh, Like when, the Bible talks about a sea. If it doesn't name the sea, like the Sea of Galilee, the Red Sea, or uh, the Pacific Ocean, or whatever, if it doesn't name the sea, it's usually talking about a mass of people, a sea of people. So if you don't see a particular name assigned to that body of water, it could be that they're talking about a body of people, a lot of people. And here in this case, when he's talking to, He's talking about light here as a rule of thumb, unless he's specifically talking about a natural light like a, a lamp or a torch or the sunlight or the moonlight. If he's not if he doesn't mention the source of that light, he's usually talking about revelation, understanding, knowledge or direction. So, you know, we had we heard the expression uh, all of a sudden the light came on. What happened? You got some knowledge. You got some revelation. You got some understanding about the situation. A light came on. And so that's what he's talking about here. Light here, it means revelation, understanding, uh, knowledge, and direction. And uh, he's talking about being able to see or understand with your spirit or your heart or your inner man. And those words are used interchangeably. You, You see that in the Bible. If he says... Inner man, he's talking about your heart or your spirit. If he says spirit, it's your heart or your inner man. If he says heart, it's the same way. It's all, it's all related. It's all the same thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this passage, passage of Scripture more than once, probably many times, and passed right over that, the light in him. Not in the room, in him. And it wasn't until, it's been years now, but Keith Moore pointed that out to me. That he's not taught, he now switched from natural light to a spiritual application. And he says the light in you, the light in him. So thank God for revelation. Amen. I just thought Jesus was talking about walking in a dark room and stumbling around until he says there is no light in him. So he's the one, the one that doesn't have any light. He can't see, see what the situation he's in uh, and he can't see the direction he needs to go. So these things said he, verse 11, And after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But he was talking about the sleep of death. But I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. See, now he's got his decision. He says, but I go. And uh, then in verse 12 it says, Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps... He shall do well. In other words, if he's just sleeping, let it go. It's all right. He's going to be fine. How be it Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. See, a lot of times the Lord is trying to convey a spiritual truth and we're thinking carnally and we miss it. They're thinking carnally. They did that a lot. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Watch my mouth. Lazarus is dead. He had to make sure they understood. And then he says, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. In other words, when I raise him from the dead, nevertheless, let us go unto him. And then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, you know, doubting Thomas. He says unto his fellow disciples, probably heads down, shoulders down, all slumped over and depressed. Let us also go that we may die with him. See, Jesus was surrounded by great men of faith. So (laughs) don't make major decisions until you seek the Lord. And he's not far from you. Amen. He's in here. And make sure he gives you light concerning the matter that you have to make a decision over. Wait for understanding, wait for revelation, wait for the knowledge that you need to to make the right decision. Wait for direction. He will give us direction. This is what I'm learning more and more. Now, I'm not going to say I haven't made bad decisions in the last 10 years or so. But since I've been enlightened, I've made better decisions and I haven't made any major decisions that were wrong. Amen so look for light in your spirit that's what jesus is talking about here and again when i say light i'm talking about revelation and understanding and knowledge and direction look for that in your spirit not on the outside around you uh, because that's where the holy ghost dwells so don't make decisions with your head because the problem with your head is emotions get involved and when you make decisions Based on any type of emotion, like fear or pressure or anything like that, sadness, whatever, if you allow your emotions to help you make decisions, you will make the wrong decision every time. But you go to your spirit, there's no emotions involved. It's you and the Holy Ghost. You're looking for light, and that's what God will give you, is light. He won't give you something you didn't ask for. So look for light in your spirit, where the Holy Ghost dwells. So God wants you to make the right decision, and He wants you to make it every time because He will direct you if you let Him. Now I know you know pastors just says all this stuff all the time, and it all sounds good and everything and hallelujah. And then you leave here and forget it. I'm telling you, you gotta stop. Think. Uh, there was a time when Pastorette and I had to make a major decision. I've told you this before. We'd take a stick of note. New car, no new car. Put it on the refrigerator, and we would not make a decision about that car for 30 days or whatever it is new freezer, washing, something major. And we, we pledged that we will not make a decision for 30 days. At the end of that 30 days, we say, Well, how do you feel about that new car now? I don't know what I was thinking. We don't need no new car. Now we got this going on, that going on and stuff. No big deal. We didn't jump out and buy a new car and regret it later. So this is how we used to do it. But now we look inside. We pray and it may be days. And then pastor will say, what did you get? And we do this about when we contribute money to something. We'll pray and ask for God to give us an amount. And... Uh, we'll wait a few days and say, what did you get? I got $500. That's what I got. See, peace comes and we know we're making the right decision. Light, we got light. Amen? So God wants us to make right decisions. And when you look inside your spirit for the answer, then God will speak to your heart. That's how he speaks to us. He could speak to us in an audible voice. I know he's done that with prophets and Even modern-day pastors, Brother Hagin heard his audible voice many different times in his ministry. I've never heard it. I've heard in my spirit sometimes it was so clear that it sounded like an audible voice, but it wasn't. It was coming from within. The prophet Isaiah said, Thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. So God wants to give us directions. He wants to tell us which way to go. But in other words, Isaiah is saying, your heart will hear the answer. And here's another way to tell when you're making the right decision. In Colossians, the third chapter, 15th verse, it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. So in other words, let peace rule in your heart, not in your head. Let me read read it to you now in the amplified bible colossians three fifteen in the amp it says and let the peace soul harmony which comes from christ rule act as umpire continually in your hearts deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state now you get the question might come into your mind But it has to be decided in your heart to which, as members of Christ's one body, you were also called to live and be thankful, appreciative, giving praise to God always. So you have to have a thankful heart. And when you transfer that question from your head to your heart, now you're going to involve God in the answer. And God is going to enlighten you. God is going to speak to your spirit in a still, small voice. And that is not the voice of somebody on the outside talking in your right ear and somebody on the outside talking in your left ear. That's not the still, small voice. The still, small voice is the voice of the Holy Ghost. It is the Spirit of God speaking to you. He's not going to shout at you. That's why you have to have peace in your heart to hear him. You're not going to hear him over the turmoil and the sweating and the worrying and the anxiousness. You have to have a quiet time in your heart. And he will answer you. And God always leads with peace. Remember I said the devil will coerce you. He'll pressure you. He'll push you. Uh, If you don't give me a down payment on the car today, it might not be here tomorrow. I got another guy coming in in another hour or two. And he's going to look at it. I think he wants to buy it. See you. Why? Because he's putting pressure on me to make a decision. I don't make decisions under pressure. I make decisions with peace. I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray about it. And I'm going to pray and wait as long as it takes to get the right answer in my spirit, in my heart, before I make a decision. And if that car is supposed to be mine, nobody's going to buy it. God will hold that car for me until I get the answer I need. Amen. And if he does sell it, that's not the car God wanted me to have. He's got another one for me. I start looking again. Amen? Let me, let me tell you something about buying a car. This, is, this ain't in my notes. It's just off the wall, but it might help somebody. Nowadays, it's better to buy a new car because used cars are off the charts. Uh, my Kia, for example, is worth $15,000 right now. I only paid 21 for it. That was five years ago. So the price of my car has been going up every month, because there's a, a high demand for used cars. So I'm going to pay for a car, a used car at an inflated price. But when you buy a new car and it's got manufactured, suggested retail price, I mean, that doesn't change. You start there and work down, amen? You don't start there and work up. I know some cars sell for more than their manufacturer price because of popularity or something, but don't buy a car like that. Buy a car that you can work down in the price and get the rebates and everything, and I promise you your payment for the same amount of time on that car will probably be lower than it will for that used car because a new car has a higher value. Uh... But when you do buy a car, decide on the car that you want, the color you want, the accessories and options that you want. And that's the car you look for. And because they're going to say, well, I don't have that exact car on the lot, but I got one close to it, but it's going to be $2,000 more. Nope, I'm not interested. This is what I want. Can you tell me where I could find it? Well, we got one like that at our other dealership. Fine, I'll go there. But know the Blue Book value of it. Know the used car price of it uh, just for retail val- resale value after you buy it. Know everything about the car that you can possibly know. Know the color you want, the options, leather seats, cloth seats, uh, uh, six CD exchanger, or whatever you want. Settle on those options and then find out what the cost of that car is. And that's where you start dealing. Don't, they'll try to get you to look at another car with more accessories or something like that just to throw you off because you'll lose track of what you're supposed to pay for. It. Don't do that. Just keep going until you find that car. That's how we bought every one of Pastor Red's cars. Mine, I just wanted a Kia Sorento. I wanted a base model. I just wanted it for transportation. I didn't care what was in it. And that's what I went out and bought. I didn't, And they tried to sell me one with more accessories and, and stuff because mine is just a base model. It plays one CD. <laughs> that's it. Don't have nothing fancy in it. Cloth seats, the whole nine yards. Uh, but I knew what I was going to pay for it. I knew how much it was worth. And I knew I was going to walk away with the price that I asked. If I didn't, I wouldn't have bought it. Same thing with Pastor Ezcar's cars. We knew exactly what she was going to get. We knew the model, the color, the seats, the accessories, everything, and we knew the price, which is the most important part. But that's how you buy a car. Amen. Amen. I hope it helps somebody. Or take Chris with you, right Matthew? Then no matter what car you find, Chris can give you the rundown on it. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I like this part, you know, God leads with peace and we have to let that peace rule and let that peace act as an umpire. Now this one I had to look up, but what does the umpire do? He makes decisions about uh, plays. If it's a ball game, you know, you're safe or out. He's the one that decides that. And usually you can't argue with them after he makes a decision. Nowadays, they got the instant replay. They might be able to change certain plays at certain times, but normally It's the umpire, or it could be a judge, or it could be a referee. Uh, But the point is that their decision is going to be final. They're going to decide, should I go, should I stay? The umpire will determine that. He's the tiebreaker. So let peace in your heart make the ruling as to what is the right thing to do. So you may have doubts and turmoil in your head, But if you got peace in your heart, it don't matter what your head is saying or what your head is thinking. Don't let your head rule you. It says, let your heart rule or let peace rule in your heart. So these are the type of decisions I'm talking about the ones that need to be decided in your heart, the ones that have light, understanding, revelation. And once I get peace in my heart, then I don't care what my head is saying, what my friends are saying on the outside what anybody is saying. Once I get that peace, I know it's the right decision, and nobody's going to change my mind. I'm going to stick to it. And and like when we were deciding to go to Rhema, uh, like I said, I had pressure on this side, pressure on that side. And for a year, I went back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, when I got that peace in my heart, it didn't make any difference what anybody was saying on the outside. I knew I was going to go. And we did. So get the peace in your heart, and then you don't have to worry about anything else because you're going to let that peace rule, and you're going to let the umpire of peace have the final say, the final answer. Proverbs 20, 27, getting back to light. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. That's another word for heart or inner man. Or spirit. So back before they had electricity, they would take and light a candle. And they didn't walk with the candle behind their back. They'd hold the candle up in front of them. Why? So it would light their path. It would light their way. And they could see where they're going. And they wouldn't stub their toes or anything. And so, uh, but the only way you find what you're looking for was by lighting that candle and searching for it. If you lost something. You were looking for something. And, and uh, so the candle of the Lord. Searching the inward parts of your belly. Or your spirit. Uh, let me read this in the Amplified too. The spirit of man. That factor in human personality. Which proceeds immediately from God. Is the lamp of the Lord. Searching all his innermost parts. It's the Lord's lamp. It's the Lord's light lighting your way so uh it's the revelation the understanding that you need it's the direction that you need it's the answer and it's going to come to your spirit it's going to come to your spirit that's how god speaks to us and like i said in special circumstances he speaks in other ways but usually when you're searching for an answer he'll light it up in your spirit jesus stood still in that place for two days why I believe he was waiting for the candle to be lit so he'd know which way to go. He'd know what direction to take and when to go. And I'm sure his head wanted to run to Lazarus because the Bible said he loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. And I'm sure he wanted to run straight to Lazarus and help him. But he got a check in his spirit and said, no, don't go. And sometimes that's all the Lord will tell you. uh, Because whatever you do, he wants you to do it in faith. So if he explained everything to you and sat down with you and let you put it in your planner on your calendar, on your phone, it used to be day planners and stuff, now you got a phone, uh, put it in your appointment calendar, then it wouldn't take any faith to do that. You would know in two days, I'm going to go to Bethany, I'm going to go to Lazarus' grave, I'm going to raise him from the dead and bring glory to me and God. No, he didn't tell Jesus none of that. Uh, what he said was, wait stop don't go and just like with abraham i was reading in genesis i've been reading the bible over again i got a head start on it this year usually i read through the bible once a year i start in january but i got a head start on it because i finished last time early but i was just reading in genesis where he told abraham to go go where just go what do you want me to do just go which way should i go just go that's all he told abraham go But Abraham had enough faith to pack his bags, pack his family, even take his nephew Lot, which was a big mistake, turned out to be a mistake later, and he started off in the direction he thought he should go. And God let him go. Now, if it was the wrong direction, God might have said, Hold it, stop. You're going the wrong way. All right, should I go that way? Go. Should I go this way? Go. Should I go that way? Go. All he would get was go. A lot of us would give up on that. I ain't going till you tell me where I'm going. Come down here and sit with me my day planner and tell me step by step what I'm going to be doing. But sometimes God just says, go. You don't even know where you're going. But that takes faith. And it's the same here. It was the same with Jesus. Jesus had to operate in faith. He didn't get no free passes. Amen? But... Uh, Remember when the Jews brought to Jesus the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? They told Jesus in John chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have something to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So he was like ignoring them. He just stooped down. He's scribbling on the ground. So what was he doing? Just doodling on the ground, scribbling on the ground. And I think that every Bible scholar, and I've done it myself, I've speculated on what he was writing. And we focus on something like that, and we lose the true meaning of it because I think he was just waiting for the light to come on. I think he was just waiting for the Holy Ghost to tell him what to say. Because you have to understand, this is a dangerous situation. It could blow up in his face. It could get him stoned, the woman stoned, and all his disciples stoned if he gives them the wrong answer. Because that's what they're looking for, the wrong answer. They wanted him to either speak out against Moses' law, which was blasphemy, and they would stone you for it. And uh, so they didn't expect the answer that he got. But once the Lord lit his candle... Gave him the light of revelation to understand the knowledge that he needed, the answer that he needed to give. He stood up and said, he that is without sin amongst you, let him cast the first stone. So he put it back on them. And the Bible says that they started dropping their stones and from the eldest down, walked away until it's all that was left. There was him and the woman. And uh, so he told her, he says, woman, thy sins are forgiven. Uh, He says, where are those that condemn you? She says, they're gone, Lord. He said, well, I don't condemn you either. He says, go and sin no more. And and she left there intact and whole because Jesus had the right answer. What if he just said something off the cuff or the first thing come to his head? He might have got stoned that day and everybody else with him. So it was a serious situation. But he waited. And you can see that all throughout his ministry. He never did anything in a hurry. He spent all night up on the mountain praying. And then he'd come down and say, let's go to Caesarea. Let's go here. Let's do that. And he knew what he was going to do. I'm going to close with Psalms 18. I'm going to read 28 uh, through 40, which is a lot. It's 50 verses but i'll just summarize the last 10 but it sums it up real good it says for thou wilt light my candle the lord my god will enlighten my darkness where in you in him for by thee i have run through a troop and by my god i have leaped over a wall queenie you're going to run through a troop and leap over a wall before this is over with buddy as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war So that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation. And thy right hand hath holding me up. And thy gentleness hath made me great. Isn't it wonderful? had the light of the Lord. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. I had pursued. Why didn't his feet slip? Because he went the right way. Because the Lord directed him. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them, neither did I turn again till they were consumed. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. And why did all of this wonderful things happen? Perfection, strength, put on the high places, teaches his hands to war, subdues his enemies, made me great, all because his candle, the candle of the Lord, was lit in his spirit, and he could see, and he had direction. That's the whole uh, moral of the story. And then there's actually 10 more verses to this psalm, which we're not going to read, but if we did keep reading, we'd notice that deliverance also comes, and you'll be made head of the heathen your enemies will fear you and you will receive strength now you may not have actual enemies you have to -to hand-to-hand combat with but sickness is an enemy disease is an enemy lack and poverty is an enemy sadness and depression is an enemy loneliness is an enemy we got all kinds of enemies but when we had the light of the lord directing us and leading us He knows where we need to go, where we need to be, and when we need to be there. Amen? So in other words, he's saying, don't go stumbling around in the dark. I made a way for you. I've provided you with light. Walk in the light. There's 12 hours in the day. He says, 12 hours of light. He says, walk in the light. Don't walk in darkness. Let the world walk in darkness. But you walk in light amen and that's all he's asking us to do is walk in light and where's that light come from from him and where does it come into us not the room us and all of this is because your candle is lit and you can see and understand and you have direction for your life isn't that wonderful i mean stop and think uh, don't do anything hasty. Usually when we do things hasty, it's the wrong thing, we mess up, we get ourselves in trouble. Take your time at everything. I know when some somebody says something at certain times, you just got to answer and you want to blurt it out before they even finish their sentence. But then when they finish their sentence, you f- find out how stupid you were for saying what you did. Because <laughs> what you thought isn't what they were talking about. Why? Because you answered out of your head... And your emotions were up there going crazy. So just go <gasps> and stop. Don't say anything. And usually the Lord will tell you, you don't need to answer that. And you just keep your mouth shut. And then there's other times when, you know, something comes up and you know a decision has to be made. Now there's times when you have to make decisions under fire. I realize that. Uh, you know, CEOs of companies A lot of times they have to make a decision under fire because there's time limitations on it. He has to make it now. And he just prays he makes the right decision because it's going to affect all the people under him. But usually when a decision comes before a CEO, he has a board meeting. He calls in the heads of all his different divisions and departments, and they all sit around this table, and he said, Listen, this is what's going on. We need to make a decision He gets all the input that he can from all his department heads. And then he says, all right, thanks for your time. Have a nice day. And then he's left in the room by himself. Now, based on all the information, all the knowledge, all the revelation, all the new understanding he's got concerning this thing, he can make an informed decision. And that's all I'm asking you to do is wait on the Lord. Say, holy, let me look in here. I need more understanding. I need more knowledge. I need more revelation. I need to know what direction to go. And then don't do anything until you hear from him. How are you going to hear from him? Still small voice. And it's followed by peace. Peace. If I have peace in here, I know I'm buying the right car. I'm buying the right house. I'm making the right decision. No peace, no decision amen and never be pressured i know this sounds simple but that it is simple that's the way it is don't get in a rush be anxious for nothing but in all things by prayer and supplication let your request be made known unto god and the god of uh the god that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through christ jesus so it's peace we need that peace to make a good decision so I hope after today, no more bad decisions. Hey, if you blow it and buy the wrong coffee pot, take it back, get another one. That's all right. But you can't do that with houses and cars and, and major decisions that are going to alter you. You can't do that after you move to Florida and find out that you don't belong there. When if you woulda search for the light and let the Lord light his candle in you, you'd have never moved, Save yourself a lot of grief. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the word that's come forth. Thank you for the understanding, the knowledge. Hallelujah. The revelation that we have now, we can make good decisions. We can make life-changing, life-altering decisions, and we can make them right because we can look to you, and we can look for that light in us. And when we get the light, we'll get the direction. And when we get the direction from that light, the candle of the Lord... We know it's going to be the right decision. We know it's going to be the right direction for us to go. So thank you for making it so easy for us. Just give us the patience to sit and wait for the light. Just like Jesus' example with Lazarus and him staying two more days before he left. And the same thing with the woman that was caught in adultery. He didn't make no hasty decisions. He just stooped down and scribbled in the sand until the... The candle of the Lord was lit on the inside of him, and he had his answer. So we thank you and praise you for that ability, and we thank you in the days to come that when we're faced with these decisions, we will look to the Spirit, look to our inner man, and wait for the light. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, I hope you got something out of this today. I did. I know that. Learned a couple things myself. Like I said, I haven't always made brilliant decisions, but I have been lately. And, uh, you know, if you're looking at a menu and you get chicken and later decide it should have been steak, that's not going to alter your life. At least most of us, it won't alter your life. But you... Make a decision to marry the wrong man or wrong woman. That's a life-altering decision. You better make sure you got the light. Amen. God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. We'll see you Wednesday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you and remember Jesus is Lord.